welcome to Spiritual Wanderlust, where we explore our interior life in search of the sacred. Many of us will travel the whole world to find ourselves, but here we'll follow those longings within to our spiritual and emotional landscapes. In each episode, we'll talk with inspiring guests, contemplative teachers, embodiment experts, neuropsychologists, and mystics. With a blend of ancient wisdom and modern science, along with a healthy dash of mischief, we'll deep dive into divine intimacy and what it means to be whole. I'm your host, Kelly Deutsch. Hi, everyone. Kelly Deutsch here, and welcome to our first ever episode of Spiritual Wanderlust. I'm really excited to have you here with us. Um, if you haven't heard of our new endeavor here on both Contemplative Monk and in the Spiritual Wanderlust community, um, we are starting this series to explore your inner life, the interior world, everything that has to do with the contemplative life and mysticism and psychology and embodiment and neuroscience, asking big questions and looking at all those mysterious things that lie beyond black and white answers. So we're excited to have you here. Um, there's a lot of fun and mischief to be had in these interior spaces. And we've recognized how hungry we all are for meaningful conversations and to have ways to navigate all of this liminality that we've been living in lately. I mean, I don't, I think you'd have to be living under a rock to not um, have experienced some level of that liminality in these last two years um, with all the craziness um, socially, politically, medically um, going on all around us. And we want to be able to learn from ancient wisdom, from that perennial tradition that seems to be in our bones as humans, something that's in our human nature, the, the questions that we ask, the wisdom that's passed down through the ages. Um, and I love bringing in you know, all the fun science and um, just current things and themes as well um, to help us navigate all of the craziness and wonder that this world and this life is. So I'm excited. Today I have joining me my friend Amy Pyatt. Um, and Amy and I have been collaborating for about a year and a half. And um, I'm excited to just explore some ideas together. Um, we've been talking lately about what it means to be whole, especially integrating the, the feminine with the masculine, because there's a lot of um, unfortunately toxic masculinity around out there. And when we are able to combine, you know, the, the good in the masculine energy with, with the good in the feminine, it can be such a beautiful thing, especially for people in leadership, because oof, people in leadership are held on such a pedestal. And when they're in the spotlight, like they are, when they fall and when they don't know how to be whole, man, that can just be so difficult for all the rest of us to watch that. So Amy, I know you had um, a story that you were going to share about that. And I was telling Kelly earlier that I recently had an experience of um, finding out that someone who I just 
adore um, their work, their mind. I've read a lot of stuff by them and learned so much from them. And I, and I still will continue to do that. But I found out that they have recently had, shall we say, some very human struggles with addiction and um, even like run-ins with the law. And you would think that like, I don't know, at some point, um, I would learn not to put people up on a pedestal and expect them to be anything other than human, but I still make the mistake, even though um, I myself as a pastor really try to resist that tendency um, to, be, to be raised up, hmm. to be anything other than just me, Amy, flaws and all. Um, sometimes we, we need to lift people up, but then we're heartbroken or we're dis disheartened when they fall. Hmm. Um, and so like the need for that, first of all, what is that? Mm. Um, and then how can we maybe not set people up and set ourselves up for that? Um, thinking about like Rene Girard and he talks about the scapegoat and a need to have someone to blame and sort of like cast all of our, <sighs> I hate the word sin, but that's sort of the culture from which it comes. Hmm. um our shortcomings our our shadow on and then we run it off a cliff and it's we can wash our hands off of it right well is this sort of like the the bookend to that I don't know what do you think yeah so I was just having this conversation the other day with a friend of mine um I'll call him Bill um and Bill and I studied in Rome together and um, he was a seminarian at the time I was in the convent and um, he came back and I was ordained a priest and had been a priest for a handful of years. And um, he himself was struggling with addiction. And so um, he talked to his bishop and said, like, I, I'd like to take some time in a treatment center, you know, to like, I just, I need to figure this out. And the bishop was very gracious about it. Um, but after his time at the treatment center, he's like, I still need some time. I'm going to take another year sabbatical to figure out what's going on. And the bishop was like, all right, well, then you need to figure out a way to provide for yourself. And, um, you know, we can see where this goes. And so for the first time ever, Bill had to figure out how to get a job, interview, rent an apartment, find furniture. Like he had never done that. You know, it was like high school, minor seminary, major seminary priest. <laughs> like Surprise. Um, but the thing that one of the things that was really difficult for him among others um, was really just others' expectations and disappointments, um, particularly his family. And I have another priest friend who, who left the priesthood and he's like, Kelly, I, <laughs> you would have thunk that I had just announced the worst thing ever. You know, I was raised in an Irish Catholic family. They were so proud to have a priest in their family. And so you know, for me to leave, he's like, it, it honestly would have been easier for me to tell my like staunch Catholic parents that I was gay. He's like, I'm not, but that would have been an easier announcement for them than, um, you know, I'm leaving the priesthood. And as I was talking with, um, with my friend Bill, it was um, so interesting because I think just like you were saying there with that idea of the scapegoat, this is very Jungian, you know, like how we just cast not only our shadows on people, but we also cast our light or, you know, some people call it the positive shadow. And so we want our heroes, our gurus, these models that we hold up for ourselves to hold all the positive things about us, you know, the things that we don't really think we're capable of. And so we have to cast them on someone else 
So when they fall, they get so upset because they're like, you were supposed to hold the dream alive for me. Like you, that was your responsibility. Instead of recognizing like, oh, maybe I can be prayerful and care about every person that comes in contact with me, you know, and all the things that we think pastors or spiritual teachers or whoever are. And instead we, we put this huge burden on these very human persons. Um, and I, I mean, I'm sure it's true in Protestant churches as well, but man, within the Catholic church, like priests and nuns, you know, other Catholics are just like, oh, father, oh, sister. And they just have such um, reverence for them, which, hey, that's lovely, but um, also forget how, how human they can be as well. Um, there's another friend of mine who, um, <laughs> I have lots of friends who became priests or nuns and, you know, within that percentage that also left. So I have another friend who was in a convent, left, um, had a really difficult experience, not great um, there's some toxicity there um, where, and that's, oh my gosh, we could do a whole nother podcast on that, how we spiritualize our emotional toxicity. Like, oh, in Catholic world, we just say, offer it up, you know, like this is your sacrifice, offer it up to Jesus, which it's like, yeah, no, not toxic behavior. That's not what you do with that. Um, mm -hmm. But she was sharing with me um, how she had been, <laughs> circles that I run in, she had dinner the other night with an exorcist. <laughs> as one does uh, right right and he was saying some of the most insidious things that he had ever seen in his work as an exorcist were in convents with nuns and he's like so many people have such a hard time believing that because you know they can see like oh okay those those priests and all those sex scandals and you know the shockingness of that but he's like people don't want to believe that women are capable of that too oh yeah Oh, they are. We are. Anybody who has this flesh suit uh, is capable of it. Yeah. And it's so interesting. Listening to you talk, I'm just thinking about like the ways in which, first of all, I resent when people do this to me, mm. um, but then I do it to others. Um, and um, like I've, I've sort of developed a habit in my adult life of saying yes I am a pastor because it, inevitably it comes up when you meet someone like what do you do and for a while like when I lived in Portland it would I was so worried about how it would be received I would say oh I work at nonprofit and just let it fly you know don't don't press this um but um I've kind of gotten past that and I I say I'm a minister but probably not what you think of when you think of a minister hmm. um I also yell at my kids. I cuss. Um, I screw up a lot and I'm kind of an asshole. <laughs> I, I really do. I say that not, I read the room. Like if sure. it's not going to land well, usually I'm pretty good on first, uh, meetings, you know, whether or not that would just be something that would like be a game changer for them or not. Mm -hmm. Sometimes maybe I should say it anyway, but, um, it's my way of saying like, don't, don't do this to me, mm. you know? And if you can relate to this and even find humor in it, you and I are probably gonna get along. And then we don't have to have this weird distance and this weird like fake getting along thing we do for a long time before we let down our guard and actually get to the meat of human relationship, if, yeah. if ever at all, you know? Mm. And I won't, I won't let you down, at least in the same way. I will probably hurt you at some point or offend you because that's what we do, but I don't want to, I don't mean to. 
Mm. But maybe it won't be like, crucify her, you know, <clears throat> she's dead to me. You know, we don't need to do that either. We don't need to run someone off a cliff. Mm-hmm. We go to these extremes. Um, I don't know if there's like the, the Madonna horror complex. It's like a, I don't know what, what like the relationship version of that would be. Like just the, the Christ scapegoat complex, I guess. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's interesting as, as you shared that the, what stuck out to me was the distance that happens when people do that, you know, instead of us being peers and fellow humans that we're all just trying to figure this out together. Like nobody has all of life's answers figured out. No guru, no priest, no theologian, philosopher, whoever, no saint. But to place all of our, you know, ideals in one person or, you know, at least a handful of people does put such a distance between us that we can no longer be peers and fellow humans. And that's really sad. I mean, both for, you know, me, if I'm the one projecting it and also for you, because all of a sudden you lose that ability um, to be, um, I was gonna say, lose the ability to be human. It's not like you absolutely lose it, but at least in my eyes. Yep, yep. Well, yeah, and so there's less risk there, right? Like you can't hurt me. You can only, you can only have this much access to me, but then there's also no richness in our relationship. So. Mm it's like the degree to which we're willing to be exposed and just open ourselves up imperfections and all is also like the room we have our dance floor gets a lot bigger right Mm -hmm. and and it's not always going to be a beautiful dance sometimes I'm going to trip and accidentally step on your toes and sometimes I'm just going to want to like do like I don't know what's the one where you go under the stick limbo oh, yeah. like silliness I just want to be silly <laughs> it doesn't have to be beautiful it doesn't all have to be ballroom or ballet but like sometimes it's really worth it it's really worth it to just stay open mm. and I think when I talk about people being hungry this is where like the conversation usually turns yeah Amy but but how do you do that it's all well and good to talk about it, but how do you actually stay open? What does that look like? Um, and so I, I just want to say, like, for those of you listening, this is what we want to explore. If anything, today, we just want to give you sort of a general overview of, of some of the things that we'll continue to dive into in these conversations and the things that we're still learning. We have not perfected. We're not experts. I don't think I ever will be. But through sitting with my pain, storytelling, and having people in my life who are willing to witness those things and like reflect love back to me, Mm. it's actually rather uncomplicated. I'm not going to say it's easy. It is not. But it's so worth it. And it's quite simple. Yeah. And there's something so rich in learning from each other and recognizing that we are all beginners And in some sense, we are all wisdom teachers. You know, we all have life experience that we've learned from. And from my years in the corporate world, when I do leadership development and training and things, um, I, first of all, sometimes, you know, I'd go to like seminars and continuing education things. And I I kind of um, was anywhere from annoyed to resentful when I went to a seminar and the presenter spoke as if they knew everything. You know, like they had the answer to every question 
instead of, you know, recognizing that there are very capable professionals in the room who probably have lots of experience, you know, instead of just saying like, well, what do you all think? And learning how powerful that can be. You know, if I was leading a training and somebody's like, okay, so how do you deal with like this kind of difficult person in the workplace? You know, and then opening it up and saying, what experience do you guys have? And just validating that we all have valid experience and um, riches, treasures, wisdom to share. And it, it really evens out the playing field so that we become, instead of um, gurus, we become more facilitators, you know? Yes. Yes. And I think when I talk about maybe a, a more feminine model of leadership, I think collaboration is something mm -hmm. that just comes more naturally to us. Um, not always. It's not, you know, absolute and always true, but these stereotypes exist for a reason. Um, women know how to um, work together to get a thing done. We know how to communicate. Um, we know how to um, like encourage each other to use those gifts, to see those gifts and bring them out. We don't need someone to be at the top. We don't need someone to win. We don't need, leadership does not have to be a pinnacle from which you're destined to fall. Mm. It's just the main example we have. Yeah, especially that model of leadership. Yeah, because it certainly is helpful to have somebody where it's like, okay, there's some structure here and this is how we're going to make decisions, etc. Mm -hmm. um, but there is something very um, masculine about that executive, like I'm going to make an executive decision and this is what we're going to do. And sometimes that's necessary. You know, it's not like, it's not like feminine, good, masculine, bad. It's... Nope. Um, simply that we need to make sure that both of those gifts are interwoven in how, in how we approach the world and not only in leadership, but in our daily lives, you know, what's that? And when we talk about masculine energy, feminine energy, you know, it's more in that archetypal way. It's not like yes. I need to somehow channel <laughs> something. I mean, use whatever language you're comfortable with, but um, that's one of the reasons why I like Carl Jung and his, you know, ideas of archetypes and things and um, the shadow work. That's man. We're gonna have somebody come on here and talk about shadow work. That stuff is Heck fascinating. Yeah. But to be able to integrate those, the the light and the shadow of of the feminine, of the masculine, all of those gifts, so that we can be more balanced human beings. Mm. Right, and maybe less inclined to hide and feel ashamed about mm. them, but just to learn how to reconcile them, to kind of hold them lightly up next to things that we are good at things that can be celebrated and actually maybe things that we thought before mm -hmm. were shameful and weak can become with time gifts mm. that can inform us that can help other people heal um that actually you know with a little tweaking are beautiful mm. um i mean that's the story of 12-step wisdom right in that addiction tells you to be ashamed and to hide it and to just keep being addicted, right? That's the only way out. It's the only way through this. Um, and that's how it thrives. But the way 12 step works is that you come together and in this shared wisdom, this shared story, you hear something of yourself in my weakness, mm -hmm. in my struggle. And somehow you feel less alone. You feel more welcomed, more seen, 
and you find hope. There's like this miracle that takes place in those rooms where people are just being really honest about the ways they have totally messed up their lives. And Mm -hmm. it's counterintuitive, but it's real. Yeah. Yeah. So much. I mean, that's, that reminds me of all of Brene Brown's work on vulnerability. You know, the people, the person who is being vulnerable almost always feels like they are just revealing all of their weaknesses. Like, look how weak I am. Whereas everyone else in the room is like, oh shit, (laughs) that person is so strong to be able to share that, you know, like what courage. Yes. Isn't that funny? All in the perception. Yeah. It's all relative. Yeah. Um, It does take courage. It does take courage to be seen, but it's also such a gift and yeah, to, to have that received in a way that is loving and reflected back to you. Oh my gosh. I mean, that's, I want that for everyone. Yeah. Who would you say if I asked you who are one or two people that you have met, whether you know them personally or, you know, by name, um, who seem to embody both that masculine and feminine really well? Oh, that's a great question. <sighs> hmm. So the first person that comes to mind is probably uh, my own mom. Hmm. Um, yeah, my mother has never been much of a stereotype in the way of like traditional female roles. Um, she's a little like five foot three. Now she's great. I mean, that's where I get it. She used to be blonde when I was a kid, blonde lady. It was just like very, um, not overly confident, but just pretty strong in who she was oldest of five kids. And, and like, she kind of ran the show. And so she didn't doubt herself much. And if she did, she didn't show it. Um, Hmm. like put a pin in that because the whole like imposter syndrome thing is part of the whole narrative. I think that we have to work Mm. around, but, um, I, I really, I still see her as somebody who just has a natural sense of like assuredness and who she is. And, and it's not about her ego and like puffing herself up. It's just like, I'm comfortable in my own skin. Mm. And I, growing up, I watched her like change her own tires and mow her own lawn. And she was a single mom, um, little background. You know this about me, Kelly, but people listening won't. And I share this with my father's permission. Uh, he re- he got into recovery from alcoholism when I was 13. So that was why they split uh, when I was four. His drinking just started like tail spinning. That's a whole other show. But um, my mom had to figure this stuff out for herself. And, um, you know, she, in the workplace, she worked with all men, but she was their boss and she was smaller than any of them. Um, but also like, incredibly maternal in the ways that like she was very affectionate and loving to my brother and I um and like taught me how to cook and she would sing to me and play guitar and um yeah she's a storyteller um so she's a good balance of when I think about like male and female qualities my own mother hmm. is for me is like pretty key in that area. Mm-hmm. How about you? 
Yeah, um, let me sit with that moment. Ironically, the two people that are coming to mind are both priests, um, which is funny because I think you'll find many, many celibates, you know, priests or religious um, who are not very full bodied. Um, but these two that I'm thinking of, one um, was my spiritual director as my life was falling apart. And um, yeah, Father Mark had like a really great way of, um, he had his, his masculine presence, you know, where he just felt like full statured human being, um, but also had a profound gentleness um, and that sense of receptivity that, um, was exactly what I needed, you know, as I was falling apart. <laughs> and, um, you know, I really think came through his own personal crisis and how he learned. And I think that's how a lot of this works, you know, that's crisis serves as our own kind of haphazard initiation, if you will. Um, mm -hmm. And if you look into, I think Roar talks about that some, it's like, if you don't have some sort of official initiation um, where it's like, okay, you are now, you are, go through this official crisis of some sort, you know, you have to do this really hard thing and you're going to be right tried. To passage. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, if you don't have something official, you're going to like, life is going to give you something unofficial, you know, that's going to wake you up to how um, crazy reality is. But, but once you've been through some sort of crisis and it, not everyone, it's not like every crisis leads to a wise person. I honestly don't know what, what makes the difference, what, why one suffering will lead somebody else, one person to become bitter and why another suffering will lead another person to become a saint. I, I don't know, that's a mystery to me. Um, but there is something really profound about those who find a deeper wisdom and a deeper sense of grounding are then often, I don't know, almost initiated to be able to help others you know, who are going through that and have a different way of seeing it instead of maybe the more traditionally masculine, like, oh, I got to fix you. I got to help you, you know, which I'm sure both of us have gone through. At least I know I did with illness, like people who just want to fix and <laughs> solve. It's like, I, I, I appreciate that you would like to help me, but um, what makes you so uncomfortable with this? <laughs> yeah. Yes. That is uh, such a huge challenge for, I mean, anybody in a helping profession, hmm. it, like we're supposed to want to help, right? We're supposed to be able to fix. We're supposed to know what to do. Um, and I would sort of put that in the camp of a feminine characteristic um, mm -hmm. because it's part of nurturing. And I don't want to fall too much. I, I realized when I was describing my mother, like those were pretty stereotypical male, female definitions, but Growing up, that was my first formative experience. Um, but like just bearing with someone, witnessing their life and allowing our hearts to be broken by the things that break their hearts. Mm. Yeah. Sometimes that's the best we can do. And that's, that's not nothing. It's mm -hmm. huge. Yeah. So let me backtrack. How would you define what you would consider like these masculine and feminine archetypes? What words do you associate with each? Yeah, okay, so feminine would be receptivity, uh, subtlety, um, 
softness. Mm-hmm. Um, life bearing, mm-hmm. right? Life comes mm-hmm. through the feminine. Um, and masculine would be, um, I immediately went to the negative and I didn't want to do that. I don't, cause I don't, I don't usually think of it in those terms, but for some reason today, that's where I went. Um, masculine would be, uh, provisional. It would be courageous. It would be, um, what's the word? Like when you want to start things. Oh, initiative. Thank you. Mm-hmm. That's my daughter on the fridge, leaving the door open. Sorry. <laughs> um, yes, yes, they initiate. Um, mm. So life, life starting, which is actually, you know, if you think of the wom- woman's body as that which bears life, you need a man's body, the mechanics of it, right, to help give life, to initiate mm. it. Yeah. Mm. No, no, no. Great question. I don't, I hadn't thought it through ahead of time, but that's what comes to mind. How about you? Yeah. Yeah. As you were sharing that, I, um, I haven't thought this through entirely, but it, it aligns for me perhaps with the difference between head and heart, you know, mm-hmm. again, speaking in these archetypal ways, not just in no way am I saying like, oh, all women are receptive and vulnerable and um, life-giving and all men are provisional like that says very little to do with like everyday um, human beings on the street but there is something to those um, images and stories that we give over millennia um, throughout human history so thinking of that heart space is much more um, present and supple and um The word expansive comes to mind, but that can also be a very masculine thing as well. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Head does have more of that um, analytical problem solving, um, taking the initiative, um, which is why it's so important for us to have both because we have to live with both head and heart, or you could even call that left and right brain. You know, left brain tends to be the much more analytical, straightforward, let me be efficient. Um, right-brained is the relational, okay with mystery, creative kind of energy. Um, and you have to use both sides of your brain on all occasions. Yes. Like we can't just use half of it. Um, yeah, and I love both of those. Like I love the way that both of those kinds of energies, if you will, feel in my body. You know, when I'm just in flow and I'm creating, but I'm also achieving and I'm just like yeah I want to go conquer the world you know and you just have that kind of expansive energy that makes you light up Um, but I find especially in spiritual direction or coaching or any of those scenarios where you need to listen deeply that's a much more feminine stance you know of just receiving people into that hollowed out interior you know and oftentimes it's suffering that hollows us out but because of that we have a much more spacious place to receive others and be present with them in pain, struggle, joy, life. Yeah, life. Yeah. Yeah, I'm thinking like 
the people who I lean on for spiritual direction, guidance, wisdom, are people who seem pretty integrated in these mm, two. Yep. Um, I don't know, human experiences that they have learned to hold them um, not intention so much, but like lightly mm. and to pull from both um, and to allow both expressions and, and not to suppress. That was another word that I was thinking when you were talking about um, how some people are surprised by nuns having the same issues that everyone else has. Well, I think um, it's no surprise that any situation that would ask us to suppress a part of who we are mm. would cause some people who aren't allowed to integrate in some form, right? Mm -hmm. If they're not given some expression of integration, that suppressed human experience is going to come out sideways yes. in the form of pain. And it is going to hurt others because hurt people hurt people, right? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. cause more suffering. And so we need tools to integrate. We need examples of integration. We need a yes. path for it. And so like the wise people, another example I would give is my spiritual direction, Don. It's funny because his name could be D-O-N, which it is, or D-A-W-N, but hmm. like, the, like the morning, um, Don, 78 year old man, who is the most integrated man in the way of like totally embracing his feminine side. Um, it's hard to articulate, but he has like a mother's heart. Mm -hmm. uh, he will cry with me. He is so intuitive, intuitive. There's a good word. Mm -hmm. um, I've had so many times when Don has called or texted me and he just knows that I need to hear from him. Mm. And he'll say, I'm praying for you. Call when you have time. Um, or, hey, you, you came up in my prayers today. So I'm calling you. What's going on? And it's like, how did you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, so he's very receptive. He's very open. Mm. Yeah, yeah. That would be another good example. Mm -hmm. in my adult life yeah 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 that's beautiful and it is uh, like you said I think we need to have these opportunities as well as models for integration and that was always such a huge question that I had while I was in the convent you know I was in formation with these sisters and I remember asking even before I entered the convent asking these other sisters since that's you know what I plan to do with my life and asking so many religious like what do you do with your sexuality you know, like, how do you live that? Like, what do you, you know, and so many, um, really because of the formation that they'd been given would just be like, oh, well, you just, you know, kind of sublimate your desires and offer it up to God. But like, when you, I know when you press someone, I'm like, to ask them, what, like, well, what does that even mean? You know, and they're like, well, you know, just, no, I don't know. You'll figure it out. I'm like, no, <laughs> you can't just use theological terms. Like, just sublimate your desires. Like you have to tell me how to do that. You know, you have mm. to explain what this looks like and how on a practical level, like, that's one of the reasons why I was so thankful for my spiritual director who was very like integrated both, you know, with the masculine feminine as well as with sexuality, you know, to have <laughs> yeah, some insight into like, <laughs> he was Australian. He's like, Kelly, what do you do on an evening when you know you just want to sleep with a man, <laughs> you know, I was like, uh, you tell me, <laughs> I, I don't know what to do with that. 
Um, I'm blushing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So wonderful just to have very human conversations like that yes. because it's true if you repress, it does come out the side and it's not going to be in a healthy way almost ever. Um, but it, it kind of really comes hard. full circle. Um, yeah, I, I'm thinking about this piece that we started with about like a need to hold people up. Mm. Okay, so in 12 step, you you find a sponsor, they really encourage that. Um, and they say to look for someone who has something of what you want. They mm. have what you want. Okay, yeah. so how is that different from holding someone above you, right? Mm. And mm -hmm. uh, making them like a guru or an expert. I think it's so much more honest to say, no, this person just is a little further down the road on this path. Mm -hmm. And they're probably still going to take some wrong turns. They're still going to trip up. Um, but it, it, it gives like a whole new permission, a new vocabulary for that relationship. And it's mm. so much more like grounded in reality. Yes. We're going to do this together. Mm -hmm. I um, remember it was a very important turning point for me in spiritual direction with um, this priest, Father Mark. Um, when I had, when it finally clicked in, his humanity, because it is so easy, especially when you're starting to just grapple with these big questions and you feel kind of uncertain, you know, you just want someone who's like, okay, I can put wholehearted trust in you. You've been down this road and just entrust myself to you. And it was a really important turning point when, I don't know, within a few months, there were a few things that just um, either his insight or advice or something just felt really off, you know, or he would say like, oh, well, you know, you might consider X, Y, Z. And how does that sit with you? And I'm like, terribly. Like, doesn't. <laughs> no, that doesn't. <laughs> I don't think you understood even what I'm saying. Um, but to have those experiences was really important for my insights to be like, Kelly, he's human too. Like he has certainly, he's a few more steps down the road, but he doesn't have all the answers. And that was important for me to recognize because I didn't even realize I was doing that projecting in my spiritual direction relationship you know it was just yep. oh it's so easy trusting myself to him and um I think that's fine and good for some stages of our growth I think that can be important um when we're feeling like we're floundering and like is there someone who understands this because sure he had certainly more wisdom and knowledge and experience than I did um, and I still love to find spiritual directors, coaches, and therapists who, who have that similar quality. Like, yes, I want someone, I want a sponsor who's two steps ahead of me. Yeah. But yeah, it is easy to place then our trust or project all of our ideals and hopes in that person. Mm -hmm. I guess the thing, one of the other things, not the thing, one of the other things I love about 12 step is that once you get to 12th step go back to number one like mm -hmm. you're never done mm -hmm. um go back to saying i'm powerless mm. and my life is unmanageable be humble make yourself low like not humiliated that's right. very different there's enough of that to go around as yeah. it is like we got this covered no just make yourself low like the earth mm -hmm. just take some time to watch the ants and like little flowers popping up. See how that informs you. Mm, mm -hmm, <laughs> mm -hmm. Wash some feet for a while. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. there's a lot of wisdom there. Yeah. Hmm. What would you say if you were to pick two um, nuggets of wisdom that you've gained from 12 steps? What would you say Gosh, stand out? Um, I think the one that I, I will hold to and that probably is something I say to myself 10 times a day, feelings aren't facts. Hmm. Because I am so prone to deep emotion. I'm a feeler. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. For those of you familiar with the Enneagram, I'm a seven. I'm an enthusiastic feeler. Uh, they're not facts. It doesn't mean that they're not legitimate. It doesn't mean that they don't feel very real at the time. Real is not the same as factual. Mm -hmm. um, feelings need to be felt. They can inform. They need to be acknowledged. They can pass through us. But they aren't facts. Mm -hmm. That was a huge step in my growth. Um, and then, oh gosh, probably, hmm, I have so many slogans running through my head right now. <laughs> probably just progress, not perfection. Mm, yeah. What is progress today? It looks different every day. Mm -hmm. Sometimes, I mean, for the alcoholic, it's, I didn't drink today. That's yeah. progress because right. in my life before I did, I'm not an alcoholic, but I'm certainly an addict. I, I use that term pretty loosely to mean like anything I put between myself and love, mm. anything that blocks me from love. So I can be addicted to TV, to chocolate, to shopping, to, I mean, you name it, Netflix, uh, avoiding responsibility, procrastination, the list can go on. Can you tell? Mm -hmm. like, I have mm -hmm. a very long list. Yeah. Yeah. Progress, not perfection. Mm, yeah. Perfection is, oof, it's not a word I like. That's another episode we'll have to have is not only on the 12 steps, but also on um, detachment or, you know, like each, each of those things that you named off as possible addictions also sound like what, you know, many spiritual writers would call attachments, you know, yeah. because it's like, you have this kind of graspy feel like the, I need Oh my gosh. And you have that anxiety to fill that um, kind of liminal space where yeah. you can't quite put your feet on the ground. And so things feel a little out of control. And so we have to grasp after yeah. other things that either make us feel better or give us some semblance of control. Exactly. Yeah. It was like, they're actually connected those two, because it's like, whatever this feeling is of like needing is not a fact. There goes my dog. That was Emmett. Um, it's not a fact. It may feel really big and like it could just destroy me and overwhelm me, mm -hmm. but it just needs to be felt. And if I can just sit with it instead mm. of trying to fill it with whatever it is, you know, or escape, that's another thing sevens like to do. Mm. Um, if I can just sit with it, oh, it's just this thing that needs to be loved. Mm, yeah acknowledged it's really not so bad mm-hmm mm -hmm. you've got my brain going on like all the many different directions we could shoot into I'm like I just need to start making a list for our, <laughs> oh, I know. our future conversations and yeah. uh for all of you listening too if you have things that you're like oh tell me more about that feel free to let us know in the comments sounds great
I look forward to the conversation, the follow-up. Indeed, I do as well. Thank you all for joining us here today. And Amy, thanks for sharing your thoughts and wisdom as we wander this wonderful world together. Right on, let's dance. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Kelly. Sure thing. spiritual wanderlust. If you enjoyed today's episode, consider leaving us a review or sharing it with others. It really does help us reach more kindred spirits who are hungry for the depths. To learn more about what we're up to, or to access our free resources for spiritual growth, visit us at www.spiritualwanderlust.org. May your days ahead be spacious, sprightly, and surprising. See you next time.